0: Well, hello there, hello there, and thank you for waiting. Yes, good things come to those that wait, and we've got a bumper crop of stories for you just now. My absence, as ever, has been caused by a field school. Yes, proper archaeology. This one's called Rampart Scotland. I run it along with my co-director, Murray Cook, so hats off to him as well. We've just completed our fourth and final season at the site of White Castle, that's in the Mures, just to the south of Edinburgh. And I feel now, I hope I'm right, I think Historic Scotland and uh, East Lothian Archaeology Service as well, I think there's not a single drop for us left to squeeze out of that site without resorting to full excavation, which of course is a little bit destructive. That's why we do, yes, Keyhole Investigation. It's been a very interesting four years and, uh, well, you'll be able to read the reports on that quite soon. I've also got to give a big thanks to all those who made a success this year. This goes to Tom, to Jake, to Cara, to Murray, to Beth, to Tony, to James, to Catriona, Jack, Karen, Dawn, Autumn, Kathy, Aurora, and of course, Jenny, Carolyn, Bob, Morgan, Crystal, Michael, Amber, and of course, who can ever forget, Shivam. Well, thank you all. And I hope a lot of you are able to come back next year when we go to our next site. Now, while we're in thanks mode... Uh, I'd like to say thanks to, well, thanks Anna, sorry, to Chris Webster. I'm really sorry that I wasn't able to appear on your podcast show due to, well, um, I'm a bit worried about myself. I kept on thinking it was Friday when, in fact, it was Saturday. I am so sorry about that. Though in recompense, can I now recommend Chris's show? It's a CRM Archaeology Podcast. You can find that at www.digtech.com llc.com forward slash podcast Um, that was sorry. www.digtech-llc.com forward slash podcast and I also hear that your wife likes uh, the show due to my Scottish accent there so well to save her blushes I'll say no more but thank you and hope she and all of you enjoy the following extended edition of the Archaeology News Are you ready? Sitting comfortably? Coffee in hand? Tea? Biscuits? Everything? Well, let's begin. This news is brought to you in partnership between Stone Pages and the British Archaeological Jobs and Resources website, as well as past horizons, of course. All the stories have been collected from various sources and to view details of each story, including the source. Can you see the Stone Pages website at news.stonepages.com? What have we got for you well, we've got a six thousand-year. This is an amazing story. Thick six thousand-year-old carved wooden post that has been found in Wales. We've got the remains of pre-Ashokan shrines. In sounds like I'm doing my Sean Connery impression again. There, pre-Ashokan shrines in Nepal and in India. The earliest Middle Paleolithic stones tools yet found. Volunteers are being asked to map the ancient hill forts of the United Kingdom and. Oh, it's Stonehenge story. The new Stonehenge tourist attraction has been proposed, but will it go ahead? Mm. The world's first calendar, controversial, has been discovered in a Scot- in Scottish field. And we've got painted bronzes. I never knew about painted bronzes excavated from a central Chinese tomb. Vandals sadly hit standing stone in Wales. And protein analysis sheds new light on old Otse the Iceman mammoth may not have been hunted just for food so new research is telling us and they have found harappan era site larger and older than that good old type site mohinjadaro ancient rock art seems to have been mapping cosmological beliefs in the americas and in poland we've got new prehistoric chocolate flint mines yum We finish off with a story uh, about farming in Iran. Exciting? Well, it is when you realise it's 12,000 years old. So let's get started. A Stone Age wooden post that is thought to have been one of the oldest artefacts of its kind in Europe has been unearthed at a wind farm site in South Wales. The intricately carved timber has been dated to 6,270 years old. That's from the late Mesolithic, early Neolithic transition. The discovery was made in September 2012 at Merde Wind Farm in the Ronda uh, of uh, Wales. It's thought that the 1.7 metre tall post may have marked a boundary or even a sacred site. Further excavations carried out at the waterlogged peat found no more artefacts, sadly. The post was sent to Newport Ship Centre where it was kept in special water tank and then scanned by a 3D laser. In addition to its swirling carvings, the post was also found to have an oval motif at one end. It's worth searching for that to see a picture of it. So, if you, you search for the wooden post Wales, um, you should come up with this uh, fabulous carving. Now, heading from Wales all the way to Nepal, new excavations within the Maya Devi temple of Buddha's birthplace in Lumbini they've revealed evidence of a series of shrines extending the history of the site to a much earlier date than previously known. Professor Robin Cunningham of Durham University, who co-directed a team of Nepali and international experts, said that for the first time in South Asia, excavations have revealed a pre ashokan temple of brick, which itself was built over an earlier one of timber. Until now, the earliest Buddhist temples had been attributed to the Indian Emperor Ashoka, who in the third century BCE spread Buddhism across the region. Cunningham also said that even older remains of a village dating back to thirteen hundred BCE were found a few hundred meters south of the Lord Buddha's birthplace, pushing the date back of settlement in the region by a further thousand years. A second phase of the project is expected to begin shortly. Now a quick hop across to India, where scientists investigating a site in the Thar Desert of northeastern India have uncovered lithic artefacts that indicate the presence of what may be modern humans as much as 95,000 years ago. Their analysis and conclusions have added to the debate about the timing and route of the dispersal of humans out of Africa into southern Asia, including the bigger question, just what species were they? The international team of scientists, led by James Blinkhorn, postdoctoral fellow with the University of Bordeaux in France, excavated a trench at the site of Catoate, uh, revealing eight sedimentary strata. Catoate, sorry. The Stone Age artefacts were discovered from most of the layers, with comparatively large collections from three of the layers, including the two earliest layers, which went back to that 95,000-year date. Blinkhorn and his colleagues reported that the creators of the tool were living in an area wetter than it is today that feature plants such as sorghum-type grasses and amaranth. Another significant result showed that the artifacts bore characteristics very similar to those found in Arabia and the Sahara. The African artifacts have been assigned to the Middle Stone Age, that's from 280,000 to about 50,000, maybe even 25,000 years ago, a type and period associated with both anatomically modern humans as well as the archaic Homo sapiens. The findings have upset the traditional consensus model of the dispersal of ancient modern humans out of Africa based on the emergence and dispersal of a certain type of upper Paleolithic technology. That's sophisticated stone artifacts such as a thin, retouched bifacial facial and blade and bladelets. Blinkhorn states that the presence of Middle Paleolithic technologies in the Thar Desert around 60,000 years ago occurs within the time frame that's been suggested by genetic studies for the arrival of Homo sapiens in South Asia concluding that the Katawati evidence is consistent with arguments for the dispersal of Homo sapiens populations using Middle Paleolithic technologies. It's all to play for just now, but it's all important. Where did they come from and where did they go? Volunteers now are going to be mapping ancient hill forts. Well, yep, they've been drafted in to help map them and I, well, I hate calling them hill forts. Can we call them prehistoric banked enclosures of uncertain date and function? a mm, bit of a mouthful. I tell you what, for shorthand, we'll allow them to be called hill forts just now. These volunteers have been asked to map them across Britain and Ireland as part of a four-year project to create an online atlas of around 5,000 plus of these Iron Age monuments. I'm not sure how they're getting that number. Despite the large numbers, there has been little academic work done on them just how they were used and how they varied in use. The oldest sites date to around about 3,000 years ago and they can be found in Ireland and Wales. Professor Gary Locke at Oxford University has studied and excavated a number of them in England and said that despite their name in the good old hillfort, archaeological evidence is suggesting that they were not primarily for military purposes. Researchers believe they may have been meeting places for religious festivals or market days. They found pottery and metalwork and evidence of domestic activities like spinning and weaving, also of agriculture crops like wheat and barley and keeping of pigs, sheep and cattle. Ian Ralston, who's a professor at Henry University, says that they're keen to see what citizen science can reveal. They expect the results of this project to change the vision of these iconic monuments. Volunteers will be able to feed information on their local hillfort into an online form on the Atlas of Hillforts project website. The map will be freely available to the public, searchable by region and linked to Google Earth to show the hillforts in the context of the landscape. And of course, Rampart Scotland, being a bit of a hill fort, or should I say, banked enclosure, etc., cetera, etc., um, type of project, is going to get involved as well. We're going to try and look at the sites that uh, are found in the Lothians. We've got about seventy-two of them. Upstanding monuments, of course, are going to have to be the only ones that can be viewed using this. And we'll be doing a number of projects in the near future, more likely 2014, called Rampart Scotland Mini Adventures, where you'll be able to join myself, yes, and Murray, as we investigate these sites and pass on the information to the Atlas of Hillforts. If you want to have a go yourself, of course, and you're nowhere near me, which is always good, pop along to the Atlas of Hillforts project website. Now to our Stonehenge story of the week. Plans have been unveiled for, oh good grief, the new Stonehenge to be built in Wiltshire uh, using coloured stones from around the world. I jest ye not. New Stonehenge will include yurts for visitors to stay in, a planetarium and an observatory and be located six kilometres from the existing circle. The project is currently in the planning stages, while the team is behind it is trying to find funding for consultation on the environmental impact. Project leader Colin Shearing said that the new Stonehenge Circle will be built with stones imported from different countries around the world, with each one matching a colour of the spectrum. He said the entire structure will be polished and set into a floor of white quartz granite and surrounded by a white stone wall. I I would actually half like to to see this one built. It's planned for an attraction to host events such as summer concerts and festivals as well as conferences and weddings. Well, I may chuckle, but actually it would look quite spectacular. Now, controversial alert, controversial alert. It's all about the world's first calendar being discovered in the Scottish field. Yep, it seems that a sophisticated calendrical system thousands of years earlier than previously thought to have been possible has been found in a Scottish field. Makes it sound like somebody's dropped it there. This is according to new Research. The discovery is based on detailed analysis of data from an archaeological site at Crathis Castle, which is up in Aberdeenshire. A row of ancient pits which archaeologists believe is the world's oldest calendar. The pit alignment at Warren Field was first excavated in 2004. Now, a team led by the University of Birmingham suggested the ancient monument was created by hunter-gatherers about 10,000 years ago. Archaeologists believe that the complex of pits was designed to represent the months of the year and the lunar phases of the month. They believe it also allowed the observation of the midwinter sunrise so that the lunar calendar could be annually recalibrated to bring it back into line with the solar year. Personally, I would have used a wristwatch, but anyway remarkably that the monument was in use for some 4,000 years and the pits were periodically recut over these four millennia. It's therefore impossible to know whether or not they originally held timber posts or standing stones after they were first dug 10,000 years ago. Very, very early um, use of standing stones. But anyway, however, variations in the depths of pits suggest that the arc had a complex design, with each lunar month potentially divided into three roughly 10-day weeks, representing the waxing moon, the gibbous full moon, and the waning moon. The 50-metre-long row of 12 main pits was arranged as an arc facing a V-shaped dip and notch in the horizon uh, where the sun rose on midwinter's day. There's lunar cycles in a solar year and the archaeologists believe that each pit represented a particular month with the entire arc representing a year. 12 pits may also play the second role by representing the lunar months, mirroring the phases of the moon and waxing and waning, of which takes 29 and a half days. The succession of pits, are arranged in a shallow arc, perhaps symbolising the movement of the moon across the sky, starts small and shallow at one end and grows in diameter and depth towards the middle of the arc and then wanes in size again to the other end. In its role as an annual calendar covering 12 months, one for each pit, a pattern of alternating pit depths suggests that adjacent months may have been paired in some way, potentially reflecting some sort of dualistic cosmological belief system not previously detected archaeologically from the Stone Age. The evidence suggests that hunter-gatherer societies in Scotland and I would say actually um, in many other places, had both the need and sophistication to track time across the years to correct for seasonal drift of the lunar year and that this occurred nearly 5,000 years before the first formal calendars were known in the Near East. This is so says Vince Gaffney, Professor of Landscape Archaeology at Birmingham, who surprisingly led the analysis of the project. Dr Richard Bates at the University of St Andrews in Scotland said that this is the earliest example of a structure uh, like this and there's no known comparable site in Britain or Europe for several thousand years after the monument at Warren Field was constructed. The Warren Field site was first discovered as an unusual crop mark spotted from the air by the Royal Commission on the Ancient Historical Monuments of Scotland uh, first came across it. NTS archaeologist Dr. Shannon Fraser said that this is a remarkable monument. Our excavation has so far revealed a fascinating glimpse into the cultural lives of people some 10,000 years ago. Personally, I'd like to see a little bit more work done on this, because I, I, what I struggle with is actually why they would need to have this degree of accuracy about knowing what time of year it is. A painted bronze pot has been unearthed from a cluster of tombs in central China's Hubei province, making the first discovery of painted bronze from a dynasty which existed about 3,000 years ago. Researchers are still excavating the cemetery in the Shuzhou uh, city, believed to have been used to bury the lords of the Zheng State during the early Western Zhu dynasty, that's about 1046 to 771 BCE. Pardon me for all pronunciations. Over fifteen hundred bronzes, pottery, and lacquered items have been unearthed from the tombs. Professor Chang Ping said that the discovery of the pot will help researchers better understand changes in aesthetic preferences that occurred during the dynasty. The graveyard was discovered in two thousand and eleven, and is one of the most important archaeological finds in China this that year. Now, sad news. Vandals have daubed the Main Chlea standing stone on the Brecon Beacons National Park in Wales with a smiley face. Sound funny, but it's not really. The 3.7-metre-high stone is recognised as a site of national importance and it was erected during the late Neolithic or early Bronze Age between 12, 2500 and 1800 BCE. The graffiti is being removed, and Natalie Ward, heritage officer for Brecon Beacon's National Park Authority, said that the person who did this may well think it was harmless fun, but this is a fragile sight, and causing damage to a scheduled ancient monument is a criminal offence. I help, certainly, that we get hold of them and paint a little smiley face on them. Now to Otzi. When tissue samples are analysed, regardless of the antiquity of the body in question, DNA will always be the same wherever in the body the samples are taken from. The same, however, cannot be said of protein analysis. Proteins allow the possibility of a more detailed analysis as they come from, and it could be specific to an area of the body. Now, a team of scientists gathered from a select group of institutions have made a major breakthrough in the field of protein analysis, specifically protein mixtures known as proteomes. I have no idea what that means. They carried out minute studies on samples of brain tissue taken from good old Otzi the Iceman. Otzi is, of course, as you'll hopefully know by now, a well-preserved mummy dating to approximately 3,300 BCE. It was found on the Alps, in the Alps on the border between Austria and Italy back in 1991. Was it really that long ago? Blimey. It's believed that he may have died from loss of blood from an arrow wound Or a blow to the head. Two parallel independent studies were carried out and the results corroborated each other. Without delving into the exact science involved, few. They concluded that Oatesy had suffered bruising of the brain, which had either been caused by a blow to the head or a knock when he fell to the ground. Whilst not wholly conclusive, the breakthrough in analysis has been quite exciting. At least if you're a microbiologist. And we do have one. Microbiologist Frank uh, Max Nurt of uh, EURAC, the Institute of Experimental Medicine, Kiel University, and a member of the research team, is quoted as saying, when you think that we have succeeded in identifying actual tissue changes in a human who lived 5,000 years ago, you can understand just how pleased we are as scientists that we've persisted in our research after many, many unsuccessful attempts. It has definitely proved worthwhile. I'm not exactly sure what has been proved worthwhile, but, well, congratulations to them anyway. A study by archaeologists from the Russian Academy of Sciences led by paleontologist Pavel Nikolaevsky and archaeologist Vladimir Putulko may be shedding new light on the relationship between man and mammoth in ancient Siberia. They believe that approximately 33,000 to 31,500 years ago the Siberians killed the mammoth for their ivory as well as their meat and in fact mainly for their ivory. As the area is mainly frozen tundra sources of materials for weapons and tool production were virtually non-existent except for the ivory in their tusks. The study has centred around one particular site at Yana where evidence of ivory tool production has been dated over a period of 2,000 years. In this respect, the Yana site goes against the trend for most other evidence from a wide variety of European and Asian sites which points in the direction of hunting for food, skin and fat as the main objectives, not for tools. Ooh, feeling cold? I'm going to head off to a lovely Harappan site. Research and findings by archaeologists suggest that the village in the Haryana region in northwest India maybe on the top of the rare archaeological site, maybe on top of, sorry, maybe on top of a rare archaeological site, both larger and 500 years earlier than Mohenjo-Daro, perhaps the best-known human settlement of the Indus Valley. Excavations indicate that uh, settlement witnessed all the phases of the Harappan civilization the early Harappan from 3200 to 2700 BCE, as well as the mature Harappan from 2700 to 1800 BCE. Why do I feel there should be a middle aged Harappan in there somewhere? It's a unique site, though, which promises to reveal new civilization contours by pushing the Indus Valley civilization back by about a thousand years or more. The area and dimensions of the site make it possibly the largest Indus Valley civilization site on the Indian subcontinent. The excavation at the site has so far revealed all the defining features of, civiliza- of this civilization ceramic kilns, wheel made pottery in the distinctive red color, Indus strip on seals, and even the layout of the town features. Archaeologists have visited the site, and from the finds so far in the use of technology, they're of the opinion that the site should be further excavated. Going back to Daro, it was discovered in 1922 and recognised as the earliest known city of the Indian subcontinent. Haryana itself is home to over a 100 early Harappan sites. University of Tennessee anthropology professor Jan Simic and his colleagues propose that the rock art in the southeast USA reflects a three-dimensional universe central to the religion of the prehistoric Mississippian period. Their finds provide a window into what the Native American societies were like more than 6,000 years ago. It appears that prehistoric people in the Cumberland Plateau, a section of the Appalachian Mountains, used the rather distinctive upland environment to map their conceptual universe onto the natural world in which they lived. Simic and his team analysed 44 open-air sites and 50 cave art sites. Analyzing depictions, colours and spatial organisations, they found that the site mimics the people's cosmological principles. The upper world, mostly open-air art sites in high elevations, included celestial bodies and weather forces personified in mythic characters. Many of the images are drawn in red, so associated with life. Into the middle world, a mixture of open air and cave art sites in the middle of the plateau, this represented the natural world, featuring images of people, plants and animals, mostly of secular character. And then we had the lower world, predominantly found in caves. This was characterised by darkness and danger, associated with death, transformation and renewal. The sites feature otherworldly characters, supernatural serpents and the dogs that accompany dead humans on the path of souls. The inclusion of creatures such as birds and fish that could cross the three layers represent the belief that the boundaries were permeable. Many of the images are depicted in black, associated with death. This layered universe was a stage for a variety of actors that include heroes, monsters and creatures that could cross between the levels. That's a fascinating one. I, and uh, I had read about that in, uh, yes, you guessed it, Past the Horizons*. Uh, A very fascinating way to see how people might actually represent their own beliefs. It's a a lesson about what rock art, at least in this case, might mean. Now, yummy, yummy, chocolate flint. There's a chocolate flint, I'm not joking here, a chocolate flint mining site found in the Holy Cross Mountains by archaeologists from Warsaw University. The outcrop extends nearly 100 kilometres in a narrow strip from the Vistula Valley to the south of Radom. According to Dr. Budziszewski, material coming from the surface of the newly discovered site differs substantially from the other known sites of similar type, contrary to previous assumptions. The lublin Volyn culture population probably used relatively simple methods to mine secondary flint deposits. This community used the chocolate flint to make impressive tools, including flint daggers. Chocolate flint is extremely easy to work with, which in prehistoric times made it one of the most commonly used raw materials in the manufacture of small tools. It had been used since the first appearance of people in what is now Poland until the end of the Bronze Age. The first study of the area was initiated by a geologist and archaeologist way back in the 1920s, where remains of more than 20 sites associated with prehistoric mining were discovered. Now, archaeologists digging into the footholds of Iran's Zagros Mountains have discovered the remains of a Stone Age farming community. The findings offer a rare snapshot of a time when humans first started experimenting with farming. They also show that Iran was an important player in the origin of agriculture. Based on the suggestion of an Iranian colleague, archaeologist Nicholas Conard of the University of Tubingham began excavating a mound about 8 metres high. The sediments were rich in artifacts: sculpted clay objects, clay cones, depictions of animals and humans. There was also stone tools, many of which looked like sickles, as well as mortars and pestles, and grains and seeds, hundreds of them. Carnar's colleague Simone Rail, confirmed that the grains were from varieties of lentils, barley, and peas. She also identified a range of g- nuts and grasses, as well as emmer wheat. Commonly grown throughout the Middle East, but most of the grains that she looked at were pre-agricultural. 12,000 years ago, she says, they were cultivating what we consider wild progenitors of modern crops. However, rail samples span a period of 2,000 years, and the younger samples, which are dated to around about 10,000 years ago, did show signs of domestication. Melinda Zeder, Curator of Old World Archaeology at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, says scientists had thought agriculture arose first in the western parts of the Fertile Crescent, a region that includes Iraq, Turkey, Syria, Jordan, and Israel, with Iran on the eastern edge of the Crescent. And this was made it a non-player in the history of agriculture. The new study, however, proves otherwise communities across the Fertile Crescent started experimenting with farming around this time. We're also perhaps looking at uh, what might come out of uh, Saudi Arabia as it's beginning to open up as well. A new story which we've just put up on Past Horizons uh, talks about how the archaeology of Saudi Arabia is starting to uh, be researched for the first time and I think there's going to be quite a few surprises coming out of there. Anyway, we made it, or you made it, to the end of this edition of the Archaeology News. I can only say uh, apologies for being away from you for so long. I've missed you. I hope you've missed me. If you want to keep up with the news, well, there's no better place to go than pasthorizonspr.com where you're going to get lots of lovely archaeology news articles. You can also, of course, keep up with the news at Stonepages. That's news.stonepages.com. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope you will return again to us, believe it or not, next week.